Father, help us to hear your word afresh. Many of us have been listening to your word and to sermons and going to church for a very long time. And sometimes it's easy to tune out. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and minds in ways that would help change us, challenge us, encourage us, and that we would become more like Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. There's a running joke going through my family when we sit down to watch TV that a 20-minute show is going to take us at least 40 minutes to watch because of the number of disruptions that happen as we sit down to watch something. Between our animals and our kids and even us, uh, it's as if we sit down and our dogs are sitting there and they're being really, really good until the moment the show starts. And then they look at us and they look at each other and then they attack one another and just start this rumble and we eventually have to stop. And even though we tell Catherine to use her inside bark, she ignores us and keeps going. So then we stop the show and then at some point somebody has to go to the bathroom and we stop the show and then somebody needs some food and then we stop the show. And then sometimes somebody wants to give culture to my kids. So on Friday night we sit down to watch Guardians of the Galaxy and within five seconds, we pause it. And one of my sons goes, oh, here we go. And then mom has decided that everyone needs to know who Snuffleupagus is. So she finds it on her phone, and we put it up on the screen, and we watch Snuffleupagus for a while. This is our family. Like, we cannot sit down and just watch a show. Disruption after disruption after disruption. But sometimes the disruption can be good. Sometimes I get into the car and I take off going somewhere. And I'm kind of daydreaming, and I have certain places I drive to all the time, and so I just start driving toward those places, even though that's not where I'm going. And, and somebody, usually my wife will go, um, are you going to turn? Like, oh, yes, and I totally forget. And I needed that disruption because I was going the wrong direction. This morning, I want to talk about disruptions. Most often, I think, we think of them as negative things. And honestly, they probably most of them are. They're just annoying. They get in the way. They keep us from doing things. But sometimes, if we're going the wrong direction, we need the disruption. And this is what I want you to hear this morning. Jesus is the great disruptor in a very profound way. Open up your Bible to John chapter 1, page 1510. John chapter 1, page 1510. We're starting in verse 43, continuing through this account in John. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day... Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. It's kind of as if Jesus is building his own little launch team 
he's heading back to Galilee, and he's finding people that are from that area and putting a team together. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. So they are aware of certain things. They have been taught things from a very young age about what to look for, what to expect when Messiah comes. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathaniel asked? Jesus was the great disruptor. And we see it twice just in this passage. Here's the first. He comes up to Philip and he says, follow me. That was very much out of the ordinary. That is not what most rabbis ever did. It was disciples who came to rabbis and said, I want to follow you. And at some point, a rabbi could say, you know, you're you're not worthy or you're not following through. But this is a reversal of how it almost always happened. Jesus is upending the normative way that the discipleship relationship happens by coming and saying, you follow me. And if you read the accounts where he goes to the fishermen, they're in their boats and they'll say, follow me. He is seeking after them. He goes to Matthew, the tax collector, while he's in his booth and he says, follow me. This is disrupting the normal way this is supposed to happen. The other disruption you see in this passage is when Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? You see, they were all looking for a Messiah, but expecting that Messiah not to come from Galilee and Nazareth. Do you know that Nazareth isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament? That would have been a very, like, what? Why would you say that? Nazareth is this little tiny village. It may have only had a couple of families living there. He's from there? That makes no sense. Jesus was constantly disrupting what they were expecting, what they believed, what they thought, what they understood. I want to walk you through some things, right? You have heard most of these things probably at some point, but I want you to see just how disruptive he was. Let's start with the most obvious, the religious leaders. Do you know how many times he blew their minds? He says, I forgive you. And they go, what? Only God can do that. You can't do that. And he goes, really? What's easier, to forgive sins or to tell someone to walk? Hey, you who have not walked, why don't you stand up? He heals on the Sabbath. He, gives his, he lets his disciples go through the field of grain and pick grain on the Sabbath. All of which they're going, you can't do that. I mentioned earlier, he calls a tax collector to be his disciple. You really can't do that. Then he goes back to the house of a tax collector and has a party for sinners, and they're going, what are you doing? Over and over and over and over again, he challenges them. He goes into the temple and starts turning tables over, takes leather, makes a whip, and runs people out of the temple area. He keeps disrupting everything they're doing. But it's not just religious leaders. John the Baptist. We studied a passage two weeks ago. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, come, you want me to baptize you? 
You should be baptizing me is what John says. Later on in John's ministry, he'll be in prison. And John is trying to figure out what in the world is going on because he's the forerunner. He shouldn't be in prison. He sends disciples back to Jesus to say, are you sure you're the one to come? Should we expect another one? It's so disruptive to John's thinking. His own disciples. At one point, he says to his disciples, I am going to be betrayed. I'm going to be turned over. I'm going to die. And what does Peter do? No way. He steps in front of him and says, no, Lord. And Jesus goes, but get behind me, Satan. Just a little while after that, Peter's doing something that I think Peter's going, I'm really proud of this. I'm really getting it. He says to Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? I mean, I'm really getting grace, aren't I, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. What? (laughs) Over and over again, he stands in front of all of these people and he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. I say to you, don't be angry with your brother. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, don't even lust. He keeps disrupting how they think and what they believe, what they think is possible. I feel so badly for his own parents. I mean, they start off by almost getting a divorce because of his birth. And then when he's 12 years old, they take off after the festival is over. What does he do? He hangs out in the temple area. And even there, he's disrupting what's going on because there's a 12-year-old that is asking questions and answering things, and they're going, what in the world? This shouldn't be happening. Is Jesus disrupting your life? Because I believe he has become not the great disruptor. He's become the great duplicator. Jesus basically does whatever your denomination does. Jesus does whatever you think and feel already. Jesus quite often looks very much like whatever our church is, whatever our group is, whatever I am, he seems to often believe the same things we do instead of upending the things that we think. In 2005, in the Netherlands, a reality TV show decided to break the record for the most dominoes ever set up and knocked down. They set up four million dominoes. And on November 18th, they were going to knock them down. But partway through the process, there was a window left open and a sparrow flew in. After weeks of putting dominoes up. And the sparrow flew around and everybody's trying to figure out what to do with this bird. And eventually it came down and landed on one of the dominoes. It knocked over 23,000 dominoes. (laughs) As I thought of that, I feel like in my life, I am setting everything up, whether it's my beliefs or my relationships, how I think, how I respond, and I've got my dominoes all set up. And Jesus wants 
to knock over a bunch of our dominoes. And then we just put them back up. Instead of trying to follow what he's doing. If Jesus is not disrupting your life, you're not listening to him. Keep going. Come and see, said Philip. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Um, His comment is, this is a very honest person, Nathanael is. And that's good to know, because Nathanael's shock of, from Nazareth? That's very genuine. He probably knows the Old Testament. He's going, that makes no sense. You cannot possibly have Messiah come from Nazareth. How do you know me? Nathanael asks. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Before any of this even happened, before I walked on the scene, I know what you were doing. This is a prophetic word Jesus gives. It's a vision. It's seeing something supernaturally. And Nathaniel gets that. Nathaniel understands this is profound what Jesus just said because look at his response. Then Nathaniel declared, he holds nothing back. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel goes from Nazareth? <laughs> are you kidding me? To how do you even know me? To oh my gosh, you're him. Because the the, the knowledge that Jesus just shared, that profound statement he just made, what Nathaniel knows is no regular person without God working in their life could have possibly known that. You must be the one. And then Jesus responds like this. And it's so much like Jesus. Again, it's disruptive. I mean, you would think Jesus would go, yes! (laughs) Somebody gets it. I mean, this is a profound statement really early on. The others following him, yes, they're following him as the rabbi. But this understanding is probably beyond all the others that are following him right now. You'd think he'd be like, wow, good job. This is what he does. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Nathaniel It's amazing that you believe. It's amazing that you recognize what I'm doing. But don't stop there. There's so much more I'm going to do. There's so much more I want to do. This is where I think it's so easy for Christians to fall into this just malaise. We're just moving along. We're doing our church thing. And Jesus is going, no, there's so much more. There's more I want to do. In your life, in your church, in your family, there is more. But it's going to be disruptive. Will you let me do more? I read this cute little account. There was this avid book collector. Loved old books. And he got to talking to a friend who said, I found this old Bible in my attic. I threw it away because I I couldn't really read it. All I could find out is it was printed by Guten somebody. And 
the guy went, Gutenberg? You had a Gutenberg Bible? That is one of the first Bibles ever printed. One just sold for $2 million. And the guy went, yeah, mine wouldn't have. Some fellow named Martin Luther had scribbled all over it in German. You couldn't read anything. So much more than what you think. God wants to do more. And here is the crux of all of it. It's his last line. Look back at your text. Verse 51. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is something that we don't have anything in antiquity like it. This statement that Jesus makes. You don't quite see it in the NIV. They change it. But it's that verily, verily from the King James. Or truly, truly. It's this thing where Jesus, it's as if you just stop for a minute and listen to me. I'm serious here. You are going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And it's a reference back to what happened to Jacob in Genesis. Jacob has this vision where he sees the angels coming and going. And when he wakes up, he goes, God is here. This is the house of God. This is where God is at. This is where God's revealing himself. What Jesus says right here, I am the revelation of God in a way that you have never seen before. Let me say it a different way. John says this in his gospel back in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let me put this together. There's a reason Jesus disrupts so many things. What Jesus is revealing is what God himself wants in life. And here's the thing. Every culture has been trying to figure this out. As you look back at all of these ancient cultures, everybody's looking for the divinity. Everybody's looking for the gods. Everyone's trying to figure out why does all of this exist? What does the divine want from us? How do we live out our life? We've all been searching, and today people are still searching. They're still struggling, trying to figure out what it is that God wants. Who is God? What is faith? What is religion? All of these things. And right here, what Jesus says is, I am the only one who has ever seen the Father. And you don't have to search for this any longer. I'm coming to you. And if you want to know the reason why I disrupt so many things, it's because I'm bringing the only true divine knowledge to whatever situation you are in. I'm bringing it. I'm bringing what you've never seen before. I read a very cool account about William Herschel. Some of you may know the name. Back in 17... Shoot, I just forgot the name, the, the date. Man, that's a bummer. 
It's like 59 or 69. It's somewhere in there. Um, he was searching the heavens. He's an astronomer. He was a musician, but he fell in love with astronomy. And he's searching the heavens. But there were no microscopes at the time, no telescopes at the time that would allow him to see far enough. So he made his own, created his own telescope. He made the biggest telescope of the time. Now to make these, because they could not create mirrors that were big enough, they created huge metal surfaces and they would polish them to the point that they were so reflective and curved appropriately, it would allow them to see as far as possible. This guy was so eager to see his sister who was helping him, who was also an astronomer, first woman to discover a comet. She said at one point, he worked for 16 hours straight, polishing a seven-foot diameter disc. She had to feed him because he wouldn't stop. She said she literally put food in his mouth to give him energy to keep him going because he wanted to see what no one else could see by the naked eye. He would discover two years later Uranus, the planet that no one could see with a naked eye. It needed this telescope. That is exactly what Jesus says he's doing. You could not see God without him. And now he's here, and he's revealing who God is. He's revealing what God wants, how God thinks, what God values. His teachings disrupted so many things because so much of it was based on the best humanity could do before Jesus. Will you let him disrupt your life? Will you let him challenge you? Will you let him look at what you are doing and decisions you are making and how you organize your life like we talked about last week? And will you let him make changes? Will you let him disrupt your life? I'm going to end by finishing the story of the sparrow because it's not done. They couldn't catch it. <laughs> the production company ended up calling animal control, and they had to come, and they ended up cornering this bird, and they shot it with an air gun and killed it. What the animal control did not know is that this species of sparrow in the Netherlands was on the endangered list. It was a crime, what they did. And when it got out, it just sparked a worldwide issue. So death threats were sent to the production company. There was a Dutch DJ on the radio. He offered $3,500 for anyone who could sneak in and knock down more dominoes than the bird did. They wanted this thing over. Somebody wrote a song it was the Sparrow Song, and they created a website so that you could write condolences for the Sparrow. Over 5,000 people wrote on the website. Eventually, this bird was stuffed, 
and it was put in the Natural Museum in Rotterdam. It was mounted on a box of dominoes. (laughs) All of that, do you know what happened on November 18th? All four million dominoes went down on live TV just like what they planned. All of this hoopla, all of this stuff did nothing. It made no actual impact. They still broke the Guinness Book of World Record until the next year. Somebody else did more. But for one year, they held it. But here's the point. Christians are so good at hoopla. We are so good at raising a stink. We're so good at stomping our feet. The question is, are we making any, abs- any actual difference? Or does Jesus knock some things down and we just put it right back up? And we scream and yell a whole lot. But we're not making any changes. Let him disrupt our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Help us to understand that it's more than just words. God, I think it is so easy because we've heard these things so many times. Many of us have been listening to them since Sunday school. It's so easy just to read over it. God, help it to sink in. This is your word. You're revealing who you are, and in your son we see it with a clarity that was never seen up to that point in history. God, let us be open to the great disruptor. In Jesus' name, amen.